up, everybody? This is Armand Lee, and thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Quarterly Report. It's been a crazy past seven days in the sports world, so you know I'm super excited to tackle all the topics. I'm going to be joined this week by former colleague, the people's anchor himself, Michael Jenkins, man, that's my guy for real. He's going to stop by and break down all things college football. Plus, I will admit when I was wrong on a take that I've given on this very show. So you're not going to want to miss that. But before we get started with this week's topic, I want to give a special dedication, a special shout out. You know, our second guest ever on the show is a good friend of mine, man. I can't even really call him a friend. That's my brother, Travis Thomas. Well, Travis, just he and his lovely wife, they just welcomed in their first child into the world. So this episode is dedicated to little man Colt, man. That's again, that's like family to me. So sending out love to the baby and mom and pop. But that's out of the way. We're going to get things started with the very biggest story this week. First quarter. It is the middle, close to the end of August, the end of August. And somehow, some way, the NBA has managed to stay in the news cycle, prominently in the news cycle, well into their offseason. Of course, by now, you know I'm talking about the Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas trade from Cleveland to Boston. And it's so funny how these things work out. I remember when the trade demand for Kyrie Irving first came out. And of course, one of the teams that he named was the New York Knicks. And y'all know I'm a Knicks fan, unfortunately for me. And everyone was talking to me, man, you know, what, what do you think y'all going to give up? You think these these trade rumors regarding New York and Kyrie, they have anything to it? And I told the people who asked me, and this is something that I always say, right? Anytime an NBA trade happens, especially like a big one, they never, are, you can never telegraph them. Like they just come out of nowhere. When Chris Paul went to Houston, nobody saw that coming. It just happened, right? You're like, oh, damn, Chris Paul's going to Houston? Wow. Paul George to Oklahoma City. Like, there was rumors all for weeks. Paul George go here, here, nah. And all of a sudden, Oklahoma City just happened. It always just comes out of nowhere. So, the fact that so many people were talking about the Knicks trade, I knew it wasn't going to happen. And sure enough, Tuesday evening, you know what I mean? I'm chilling with my baby girl. And all of a sudden, everybody freaks out because, like, yo, Kyrie's going to be traded to Boston? The number one and number two teams who met in the Eastern Conference Championships are actually going to be trading with the, with each other. So initially, I'm like, okay, yeah. Boston, it makes sense. You don't want to pay Isaiah Thomas close to $200 million next year. I get that. I understand that. And obviously, Kyrie, there's no turning back. He can't come back to Cleveland. So, you know, train him. And then it's rumored that, okay, well, Jay, uh, Jay Crowder is going to be added to the trade. And that's when I'm like, yo, what's going on here, man? So you guys know I'm really big into analytics, you know, and <laughs> that is kind of my governor in terms of how I evaluate players. You know, there's so many talented guys in the NBA. Everybody in the NBA is super talented. So it's all relative, right? Relative to your peers, your contemporaries. And Kyrie Irving just doesn't meet that standard. Kyrie Irving is super fun to watch. Don't get me wrong. Kyrie Irving is a fun player, and Kyrie Irving is a talented player, okay? He is one of the best players in the league. But the idea that you would trade Isaiah Thomas, who from a production standpoint is 
Kyrie's equal. They're peers. Like, they play similar. Obviously, Kyrie is a bigger player. So there's a, you know, you're, you're more comfortable with the 6'2", 6'3", guy than the 5'8", 5'9", guy, obviously. But that doesn't affect their points per game. It doesn't affect their field goal percentage. And then here's the kicker, right? Kyrie, while he has hit some huge shots, obviously the biggest shot in Game 7 of the NBA Finals just two years ago, Kyrie hasn't shown that he's a special player without playing with LeBron. And that is key. Like, we have to make sure that we don't forget that one little nugget. I'm not going to do a lot of guys will have you, and you probably have seen the, the, the stats on Twitter or online comparing like guys like Mo Williams before and after LeBron and things of that nature. Kyrie Irving is better than Mo Williams. I'm not going to disrespect Kyrie by doing that, but it is worth pointing out. And you look at the field goal percentage because points doesn't matter, right? You know, Kyrie, someone has to shoot the ball. And when Kyrie is not playing with someone who is better than him, there's no reason why he's not going, why he's going to pass the ball up. So one of the reasons why he and Deion Waiters has so much static all those years ago and rumored that Deion Waiters, you know, beat the brakes off of Kyrie while he had that mask on. If y'all remember Kyrie rocking that mask a few years ago, there's some real rumors that there was a fight between those two. Um, So, we already know, and besides, we already know Kyrie is not a facilitator. That's not really what he does. But that's okay because that's not what Isaiah Thomas does either. So again, if you wanted to do a Marcus Smart, Isaiah Thomas, and Isaiah Thomas, Terry Rozier, something along those lines, fine. But you're giving up Jay Crowder. And that's huge because you've already given up Avery Bradley this year. So Boston's two best defenders are gone and we all know that's important because Kyrie can't play defense and that is highlighted with Cleveland we all we've all seen it in the finals right or not even in the finals any game Cleveland could have a huge lead right Cleveland could be playing lights out it was magnified in the finals but anytime LeBron sat down and Kyrie was on the floor even playing with Kevin Love right another talented guy J.R. Smith, all these talented guys that Cleveland has, it didn't matter. They couldn't keep up primarily because they can't defend. So Kyrie is now going to be playing, you know, taking the Isaiah Thomas role because Isaiah Thomas is probably the worst defender in the league, but not because of effort. It's just because he's just so small, right? That's, that's where the height and size plays actually against Kyrie in this dynamic because Isaiah Thomas is just so small. You can't, he just can't defend physical guys, whereas Kyrie has the size to do it. He just isn't good, whether it's interest or effort or whatever you want to have it, whatever you want to call it. But there's no Amon Shumpert to hide, hide him. There's no LeBron James to hide him. There's no Avery Bradley, and there's no more any Jay, uh, Jay Crowder, right? And here's the thing. I can hear some people, and I, I know a few Boston fans, so they've responded to me, but well, we got Marcus Smart. Well, Marcus Smart is one of the worst. See, this is the thing. You try to equate Marcus Smart with Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley, and you can do that from a defensive standpoint, right? Marcus Smart is an amazing defender. However, the thing that Marcus Smart is not is a good offensive player. And Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder 
are both very good two-way players. And if you remember the finals, I think that was the biggest issue with Cleveland. The only two-way player they had on their team was LeBron. And that's why, I mean, obviously LeBron's one of the best players of all time. He's going to have that huge impact. But when you only have one guy who can do both, who can play both ends, it hurts you, especially when Golden State is running five guys at times who play both ends, or four guys, depending on how you view Steph Curry. So Boston, they can't hide Kyrie defensively the way they hid Isaiah Thomas, right? There's no Avery Bradley. There's no Jay Crowder. You could put Marcus Smart in the game, but that hurts you offensively. And again, like I said, the thing that we always have to remember, we still do not know how good Kyrie Irving is without playing with LeBron. You understand? Like we all understand that LeBron James is one of the best players in the world ever. So it's not really that huge leap or that huge, you know, a huge leap to, to think that playing with LeBron would help anybody, right? I'm not going to compare Kyrie to Mo Williams, but look at Dwayne Wade, right? Look at Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving had his best years playing with LeBron. Dwayne Wade was like, had one of the, he had a renaissance. His career kind of turned the corner when he started playing with LeBron. J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson. You know, the only guys who, whose numbers get worse are guys who were overrated before they started playing with LeBron. Chris Bosh, Kevin Love. So it's not a coincidence that their numbers get worse, but they have their best years in terms of success, right? Team success that they ever had. The best players' numbers don't ever get worse. You know what I mean? Steph Curry's numbers didn't get worse because he played with Kevin Durant. Kevin, Kevin Durant's numbers didn't get worse because he played with Steph Curry. Klay Thompson. He had to take a back seat. He still was averaging 20 points. There may be a, like a little bit of a, like a decline, but the percentages, the effectiveness, like the productivity, they don't ever take step backs. The best players still always play great. It doesn't matter. The players who we overrate, those are the guys who always take a step back. That's important to remember. So Kyrie, he's an amazing scorer. We know that. He was able to close the NBA Finals. We know that. But we also now have to wonder about how he is in the locker room. Because he was unhappy playing with LeBron, which I can understand. But now there was reports that he would go days without talking to his teammates. And the report was teammates, plural, not just LeBron. Forget about, you know, the flat earther theory. So now the team who had the best record in the Eastern Conference, the team who went to the Eastern Conference Championship, Lost their leader in Isaiah Thomas. Lost kind of their, their heart and soul, the last remnants of the championship era. He, he wasn't on the championship team, but he was on those conference championship teams, Avery Bradley, and the toughness of Jay Crowder. So now you got Al Horford in his second year. Um, you got Kyrie Irving. And then you got Gordon Hayward in his first year. Mixed in with Jason Tambo, rookie. Jalen Brown, like, like you've got this whole kind of mashup unit of new guys coming off of a, a super successful season last year. And then to top it off, the Celtics gave up an unprotected Brooklyn Nets pick. Again, remember, Kyrie Irving and Isaiah Thomas, while Kyrie is the better player, there's not that much difference between the two. Those guys are peers. So, again, if you wanted to add in a sweetener, maybe Boston's own pick, because Boston will be obviously 
had they not dismantled their core, they'd be picking late in the draft, right? I can understand saying, hey, look, you can have our pick. It'll be like 25, 24, 26. Have that. And Isaiah Thomas and Marcus Smart, for that matter. But you're giving up your best defender, Isaiah Thomas, who was the second team on NBA player, and an unprotected pick that could be a top three pick from the Nets this upcoming season for Kyrie Irving? What are we doing? What's going on? And that's even magnified by the fact that Boston could have had Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is better than Kyrie Irving had they parted with one of those picks. They could have had Paul George, who's also better than Kyrie Irving, had they parted with one of those Brooklyn Nets picks. And get this, considering that they traded Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, and the pick in two different trades, it's not that far-fetched to think that Boston could have had Jimmy Butler and Paul George. You understand? Like, I people make fun of Kevin Durant. They, you know, people start saying, hey, man, you know, Kevin Durant ruined the playoffs. And I've even said it. Like, Kevin Durant, man, I understand why you made the move, but it, it really sucks because you kind of messed up the league. I, I take that back. I take that back completely. It's not Kevin Durant's fault that Boston didn't decide to trade for Jimmy Butler. It's not Golden State's fault that Boston didn't decide to trade for Paul George. You know, it's not Chris Paul's fault or Jerry West's fault or Steve Kerr's fault or any other superstar team's fault, LeBron's fault, that Boston decided to give, to throw in Brooklyn's unprotected pick. For Kyrie Irving, a guy who has never shown the ability to be a special player without playing with LeBron James, even when LeBron is on the same team. Think about it. When LeBron, since LeBron has returned to Cleveland, he set out several games. It's been high profile. Cleveland has only won like a handful of those games when Kyrie and Kevin Love are playing. Kyrie has had opportunity after opportunity to show that he can be a leader, that he can be a great player, that he can be an actual franchise-type player. And he's failed at every turn. And this is not a Kyrie bashing session, you know? Again, he's one of the more talented players in the league. He's one of the best players in the league. But he's not hes not close to that top echelon, right? He's a good player. He's a very good player. He's not elite. He's not top 10. He's not top 15. I don't even know if he's top 20. And again, I know I view talent, I view player evaluations different than the majority of you guys. But if you, do, if you don't subscribe to the analytics and the advanced statistics, use the quote-unquote eyeball test. Because when you watch Kyrie, without LeBron, you see a lot of losing. And that speaks volumes. So, you know, we've had this whole year blaming Kevin Durant and Golden State for ruining basketball. When in reality, number one, this offseason has been amazing. <laughs> this has been the best offseason in years. This offseason has been better than the regular season and the playoffs. But number two, you can't get mad at the Warriors because everyone else is dumb. You know what I mean? You can't get mad at the Warriors because Boston, a team who won 50 games, a team who went to a conference championship, makes a decision like that, especially considering what they could have had. 
But shout out to Cleveland, man. You know, I'm not the biggest Isaiah. Isaiah Thomas is a fun player. Isaiah Thomas is a talented player. He's not worth 170 plus million dollars that they're probably going to pay him next year. I'll give you that. He's not worth that. But if you are in the running for a championship, and I do think that while they're not on par with Golden State, they're closer to them now. And we've seen it in years past. Look at the Spurs with Kawhi Leonard. It only takes one roll of the ankle, one sprain, to, to, to just shake up a playoff series. So you never know what will happen in the finals. But Cleveland is much closer. Not, And that doesn't even take into account the Brooklyn Nets pick that they have. Whereas Boston, for whatever reason, took a step back. All right, guys, this that was the first quarter. Hopefully you guys always step a little bit closer to me in the show. You can get in contact with me by email. All you got to do is email me at quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Also, follow us on Twitter. We're at quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, show. And while you're at it, go to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Subscribe and rate and review. That's important, guys. Rate and review the show. Let me know what you think. Let the world know what you think. Give me some stars and subscribe to the show. All you got to do is go to iTunes. Click or search quarterly. Again, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. You'll see the icon with my face on the coin. Click on it, subscribe, and then rate and review. All right, so the first quarter is in the books. We're going to keep things moving. We're going to leave the hardwood and step into the square circle for our second quarter this week. One of the things I dislike the most about certain sports personalities, hosts, what have you, is that, you know, some people just can't admit when they're wrong. Case in point, you know, when LeBron was first coming onto the scene, when he was first making his name for himself, you know, Skip Bayless, as we all know, would talk about how LeBron wasn't clutch and he couldn't do this. And at the time, even though I didn't agree, there were like legitimate reasons to believe this. This whole idea of clutch gene and, you know, coming up short in the biggest moments. We had the Boston Celtics series before he left Cleveland where he just went MIA. Then when he actually went to MIA Miami, the NBA Finals versus the Mavericks, I had never seen anything like that before from a superstar player. Actually, the only other time I've seen something like that was when LeBron did it in that Boston series. So he was, although I never really agreed with it, I can admit that was some questionable moments from LeBron. But then LeBron hits big shots in the Spurs series. LeBron hits all the big shots in the Thunder finals. And then LeBron puts up all these crazy numbers to get to the finals every year and then to, you know, beat the Golden State Warriors two years ago. And it's like, okay, we can stop. Like, this whole LeBron James isn't clutch. I mean, I remember the moment, right, game six against the Boston Celtics in Boston Garden, um, or the Garden, excuse me, and, you know, when he was still in Miami. And, you know, that game, he, he literally beat the Celtics by himself. And Doc Rivers was the coach at the Celtics that time. And he's like, yo, can we stop with this LeBron's not clutch thing anymore? Like, at that point, it was kind of like, okay, you know, we get it now. He Like, that has to stop. But, of course, Skip didn't stop. He kept on going. And he's not the only one, but he that's like the most famous uh, example of a, a sports personality just not admitting that they were wrong. You know, 
just continue to push this kind of idea, you know, the 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 hot take, right? And I got to apologize to you guys because, you know, I like to think of myself as someone who can admit when they're wrong. And I was wrong. A few weeks ago, actually probably a few months now, I went in on how, you know, it's crazy for anybody to watch the Floyd Mayweather Conor McGregor fight. You know, I, I went in, this is before their tour, before all this. And again, I know I could be a, a bit pretentious, especially when it comes to boxing. I love boxing. And I came across like, yo, nobody should watch this fight. Boom, boom, boom. You know, it's crazy. Why do you want to get it? It's a circus, yada, yada, yada. And then I remember like that, like right after that show came out, my cousin Sadiq, y'all know him. He calls me. He's like, yo, man, you know, it's just entertainment. Like, that's what he, he told me. He's like, man, it's just entertainment. Like, check me on that joint, man. Like, people want to be entertained. And, you know, through listening to some of these episodes, I think y'all get it. Like, I don't like telling people what to do. But in that moment, you know, I jumped out the, I jumped out the window. I, I, was, I was crazy on that moment. So I apologize because I was wrong. This fight is going to happen this weekend. And there are a large number of people who are going to be entertained. Entertained enough to, to drop $100 on it. And go ahead and do that joint. You know what I mean? Because just because you and I don't share the same sensibilities on what is and isn't entertaining, that's fine, right? If you think that this is going to be something that you want to go and check out, or you want to have a fight party, and a bunch of your friends going to kick in, pitch in on it, go ahead and do it. Have fun, man. Like, especially now, like, you just got to enjoy yourself. Nobody's hurting anybody. You know what I mean? And whether you're a, a, a MMA guy or a boxing guy or a gal, whatever, enjoy yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a fight for fun. And, like, in all these sports right now, man, it just feels like we just need some fun right now. You know what I mean? And whether or not I think it's going to be fun or going to watch, it doesn't matter what I think because everybody doesn't have my sensibility. But this fight is going to happen. We by the, This is going to come out on Thursday. So we're, like, Three days removed from this fight. And number one, if you are going to get this fight, especially if you are like in the Maryland, Virginia area, Baltimore especially, on the undercard is a boxer, Javante Davis. He's one of the next young Americans up. He's a monster. He's a problem. He's not going to be fighting anybody at, like a, at an elite level, but he's going to put on a show. So I'm excited that the world will be able to see this guy, Javante, because he's going to put on the show. I don't know how entertaining the Floyd McGregor fight is going to be, but I'm going to do something a little bit. I'm going to give credit to the McGregor Mayweather camp. And I know y'all like, what? This, how? Let me explain. When this fight, when, the, when people were first starting to say, like, this actually is going to happen. I was worried because, again, I watch boxing all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I understand quite well how easily the promotion of big fights, especially, jump and bathe in the sewage of, like, the underbelly of racism, bigotry, and all this other stuff, right? I Boxing... It's natural for boxing just to get real ugly, just to expose the underbelly of all the things that, as a country, we try to move forward and get past, right? So before they even agreed to the fight, I was like, man, 
I don't know if this is going to be like the lead up to the fight is what everybody's looking forward to. Everybody was like, man, I just want to see them go back and forth. And I was like, I don't know if you want to see that. And sure enough, Mayweather and McGregor had the Ford City tour. Right. And it was <laughs> it was it was like back in like middle school, like kids going back and forth at each other. I mean, talking about calling people this saying that dance from uh, the whole nine, everything that you would expect. And it was crazy because I saw so many people get so, I mean, you could take offense to things, but it was almost like they were surprised. You know, they were so outraged and shocked. And I was like, man, what you think was going to happen? The same people sometimes, the same people sometimes who were talking about how they couldn't wait. Like the only thing they wanted to see was the back and forth, the verbal sparring between Floyd and McGregor. Like, that was the only thing about the fight that they were even interested in. Those same people, after the, the, the Four City Tour, they were like, I can't believe this. And I'm like, man, what you think they was going to talk about? Do I think they were going to discuss physics? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is what they do. Floyd and McGregor, they both have shown you in years past, when it comes to promoting a fight, they have no problem diving in sewage. Like this is like the natural tendency. And that and that four city tour was just so awful. And I don't think people understood. Like there are a lot of casual fans, like McGregor and Floyd, have both, you know, usurped their own sports. You know what I mean? They've transcended their own sports. They are bigger. Floyd Mayweather, even to this day, is bigger than boxing. Conor McGregor is easily bigger than the UFC in this country. Both those guys in this country. So there are people who may know the names and they like know their faces, but they don't necessarily know them intimately. So when when the, that wave of just hate came through those four city tours, I think it really took people off off guard. It caught people off guard. And you see this result in like ticket sales for the fight itself and in the hotel rooms still available like i think it turned people off and somebody and this is where i give credit to the camps of both fighters or the promotion somebody was like yo we have to stop this <laughs> like this whole this is not the time the climate that we're living in now we can't do this like we have to stop you know what i mean and thankfully both fighters stopped like you haven't heard anything like what you hear now so the so this is what you got to understand, man. And this is like boxing promotion one-on-one. They went with what they, th they thought was going to sell because it always sells in boxing. The Great White Hype is one of my favorite movies of all time. You can sell race in boxing. Like wrestling and boxing, you can still dive into that stuff. You know what I mean? When Floyd fights Mexican fighters, he Floyd fights on Cinco de Mayo usually every year when he was fighting. Right? His uncle Roger... He was like the black Mexican, you know, that's what he called himself. You know what I'm saying? Like these guys, this is, this is like almost, it's, it's sad in a lot of ways, but this is how they sell fights. This is their, their natural default. So when they saw that that wasn't working, what did they do? When, what, this, what were the stories that started popping up? Right? Well, then you start seeing the two different training videos, like almost immediately. So you see Floyd showcasing the speed and you see Connor working the heavy bag. And they just both come out like on the same day and everybody's like, yo, Connor's going to get killed, which I think he will, but it's worth pointing out. Of course, Floyd's going to look way faster on a speed bag than Connor is hitting a heavy bag. Like that's the, 
You're not trying to be that fast using a heavy bag. You're trying to work on your strength. And we all know Floyd's going to be faster than Connor anyway. So, but that's what they did. So they tried to, 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 to change. They pivoted on how they were selling the fight because so many people were thinking that Connor was going to win. That all the money's on Connor. And then you saw, you know, Floyd have an interview and he's talking about how he's lost a step and how Conor McGregor, he's got a, he's got more than a puncher's chance. He's hungry. He's got a strong, you know, power, all this stuff. Floyd Mayweather being super humble. Think about it. Selling a fight with humility. You think that's just, you think he just discovered this or you think this was their plan B? They're like, yo, we have to pivot because selling race isn't working. Selling like, you know, calling people homophobic slurs. That's not working. You know, this is not the climate for that. And then the whole Paulie Maliotti story comes out. Paulie, who by no, if you are training to fight Floyd Mayweather, there are so many sparring partners that you would get before you get Paulie. Paulie fights nothing like Floyd, nothing. But for whatever reason, Conor McGregor spars with Paulie. And then what was the stories that came out? How Conor was knocking out Paulie. Paulie gets mad. Paulie, mind you, is doing color for the fight. Right? He's doing color commentary on the fight. These guys have built this masterfully. Right? Again, their plan A didn't work. And they realized it wasn't working. So instead of just keep on pushing this hate, they switched. They pivoted. And now you're starting to see the buzz starting to pop back up for this fight. Look, man. Boxing is my second favorite sport. And if you want to watch this fight on Saturday, have fun, enjoy it. But understand what you're getting, okay? Because it's clear, it's clear that the promoters, and I think to some extent both the fighters, understand what they're giving you. They're giving you a night of entertainment. Like my cousin Sadiq correctly told me, he had to check me. He was like, look, it's about entertainment. Enjoy yourself. So in the spirit of this, I'm going to give you my prediction, right? I think Floyd wins, obviously, and I think he wins probably in five rounds. I'm going to say five, five or six by TKO, you know, I think now you see Connor. Connor's doing a lot of strength training. He looks big. He's he's a, clearly a strong guy. You see him bulking up. But I hope that he understands that that extra weight and and being on your feet the entire time of the fight, unlike a UFC fight, that comes with you know an added letter layer of possibly possibly being fatigued. So if he comes out swinging, looking for a knockout, which he says he's trying to do then the fight's not going to go five rounds. If he's coming out trying to hit Floyd, like aggressively, Floyd is going to counter, and he's going to pick him apart. And then probably by the third round, McGregor will be fatigued. If he is smart, he tries to pace himself. Um, but I think the ref stops the fight in round five because Conor is going to be gassed, and Floyd's going to just touch him however, whenever, wherever he wants to. And the fight will be a stop via TKO. But that's my prediction for the big fight this Saturday. In any event, if you're going to get it, enjoy it. If you don't, that's fine too. I'm not going to watch it either. But like my cousin said, cousin, my cousin Sadiq, who comes on the show each month, it's entertainment. And as long as everyone is enjoying themselves, it's a good Saturday night for the sports world. All right, so you guys heard the horn, and you know what that means. But before we get to halftime, I'm going to let you know all the ways you can get in contact with the show. First, on Twitter, follow the show at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. 
Also on iTunes, click and subscribe and rate and review. All you got to do is search for quarterly. Again, it's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. You'll see the show's icon, click on it, subscribe, and then rate and review while you're at it. And now you can email us as well. We're at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, it's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. All right, so now that we're at halftime, it's been a while since we had opened up the hotline to take on some of the best callers from some of the best and biggest sports figures. So I felt with the summer coming to an end, and football about to start and all the wildness that's going on with the NBA. There'd be a lot of people needing some really big advice. So without further ado, we'll open up our hotline bling. Hey, it's the hotline bling where we give you great advice at no cost. First caller, what's your name and where you're from? Hey, what's going on? This is John from Albuquerque, but everybody calls me Bones. It's been a rough few years at my job, man. I swear, like... Somebody's out to get me. You know, I made some mistakes, but it's not fair, man. I don't know what's going on. Every time I take a step forward, it's like I got two steps back. Everybody knows I'm the best at my job. I know I'm the best, and I just want the recognition of being, you know, the face at my gig. But every time I'm ready to make a move, every time I feel like I've turned the corner, something else happens. What can I do to stay out of trouble, man? Sounds like somebody's got the case to the can't get rights. Listen, man, I don't know what's going on with you personally, but it sounds like it's affecting you professionally. And that's precisely why you may not be getting all the juice at your job. Listen, your name is Bones, right? And you live in Albuquerque. So I'm assuming what you do, you gotta be nice at it. But it doesn't matter how nice you are at your job. If you keep on dropping the ball, at some point your employer is gonna get tired of it. That's precisely why you're not the face or you don't have the juice like you say you want. You can't keep on messing up. And this idea of, you know, somebody's trying to get me or, I, you know, something's going wrong. Nah, man, you got to have self-accountability. It can't always be something else. If you keep on getting in trouble, you can't keep blaming everything under the sun. You got to take responsibility. So, man, John, I hope you clean up your act because it sounds like you're super confident and I believe that you probably are the best at what you do. But it doesn't matter if you keep on dropping the ball. Because at some point, no matter how nice you are, those opportunities are going to run out. So I hope you clean it up before we come to that position. All right, that's the first call. Next up, what's your name and where you from? Hey, first time, long time. This is Irvin from L.A., but you can call me Magic. Anyway, man, I got some haters on me. I just got a big time job. Like, I'm running things at this huge corporation, right? But as soon as I got on, I'm making moves, everybody's loving what I'm doing, and I got a way to get a big time acquisition. But they snitched on me. They said I was tampering. Can you believe that? So now they got some people on my back, and I know it's because, you know, I may have cut the line and I got on. I had no experience at the position I was doing, but it don't matter because everybody's with it. What can I do to silence these haters, man, and get these people off my back? I'll hang up in this. Magic, magic, magic. Come on, bro. This is on your head. You can't blame anybody else. Look, you got to make sure you cross your T's and dot your I's. Especially you talking about you taking people's talent away. Of course they're going to be mad, man. This is business. This is cutthroat. You talking about you at this major corporation? 
one thing I know, major corporations deal with major money. So if you're taking people's talent away, of course they're gonna be mad at you. So don't give them a reason to call them people on you. Make sure that you take care of business on your end. Look, you said that you were given an opportunity and that you feel like you may have even cut the line. Well, that means that you're gonna have to grind even harder because everybody's gonna be looking over your shoulder waiting for you to mess up because you knew at this. So don't give them a reason. And you say that you got the love of the people. Well, that's another reason why you gotta work extra hard because everybody's not gonna get that opportunity that you got. So if you mess up, you are closing the door behind you on all the people who wanna follow you. That's extra incentive to make sure that you grind hard, man. It's business. So of course there's gonna be hating. Of course they're gonna be snitching. But nobody's gonna be checking for you, waiting for you to mess up if you handle your business first. All right, y'all, that's my time this week. I'm Armand Lee. Hopefully I answered all your questions and got you out of whatever jam that you may be facing. I'll talk to you next time on the Hotline Blink. Yeah, it's been a rough week for some of the biggest names in sports. But of course, yours truly is always here to help. Anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed halftime, but the show must go on. Two quarters down, two quarters are in the books. We're moving forward with college football talk with my guy, Michael Jenkins. Third quarter. You can catch my next guest on csnmidatlantic.com. Also, follow him on Twitter at JinxCSN. He's one of the best anchors nationally, locally, and definitely one of my favorite people in the world. My guy, Michael Jenkins. Jinx, what's going on, buddy? My man, I appreciate that. Uh, no problem, Jinx. You already know what time it is, man. Well, we're going to get right to it. Um, I've been talking on this show, at least, over the past few weeks about me kind of falling out of love with the NFL. You know, I still love the game of football. It's still fun, but it's hard for me to – I don't feel the same way about the NFL as I used to. I used to be really excited when preseason would hit, be really excited for the upcoming season, and I just don't feel it anymore like I used to. However, I am more interested in college football as I've gotten older, which is kind of crazy. Uh, you, you know, you from Texas, you went to Texas, you're a longhorn, you love the school. Uh, so you've always loved college football, but I'm curious if you are starting to fall out of love with the NFL like me, is it something that is just a personal problem with me? Or do you think this is something more people, especially you, uh, are going through? You know, I would say that, yeah, I don't have the passion for it that I used to because right. because the NFL, the way it, it runs things and how inconsistent it has been, right. is it's hard to get behind. I read a couple days ago that Roger Goodell, since 2006, Roger Goodell has made more than any athlete in right. any sport except for A-Rod and Kobe. That yeah. is that is absolutely insane. And 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 this dude, the way he runs his league, which is totally inconsistent, players don't like him, and he's followed guys, you know, like Pete Rozelle, who was revered back many, many years ago when, when he had such a long tenure. And then you see with all the controversy and the players kneeling, I, I don't want to get into that, but I'm saying the way the fans react, yeah. you know, when they become so divisive over it, and, and agree or disagree to me isn't the point. It's that you want to ban people for life from playing football because they did something you didn't like and it didn't hurt anybody. I mean, there's just so many things surrounding it that it, it just kind of wears you out. It's like, I just want to see a good football game. Exactly. And, you know, the crazy thing is 
beyond the protest, which is kind of like the flavor of the month now, I mean, the NFL, whether it's CTE, whether it's domestic violence, I mean, think about it. This year, it's Ezekiel Elliott. Last year, it was Josh Brown. Before that, it was Greg Hardy and Ray Rice. You just look at it, and then you're like, Goodell, man, get control over your league. Because the more these types of incidents occur, it just becomes harder and harder to root for some of the biggest stars and the biggest names in your league. It's all the time, and 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 they're so hypocritical. I mean, the domestic violence thing is a big deal, and it always yeah. just blows my mind how people lose their minds. If I don't want to keep going back to the protest thing, but I'm saying people lose their minds over that, but if a guy hits a woman, it's all right, he's subject to suspension, let's let him play, he can play football. Right. I mean, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But the way they run things in last year, I mean, if you make it local, you talk about Josh Norman doing an invisible bow and arrow. Exactly. I mean, it's so stupid. I mean, there's a reason why the no fun league exists. And, and a lot of times, even with the calls, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a Cowboys guy, but, you know, a couple of years ago when, when Des Bryant caught that pass against the Packers and there was a big debate, and everyone was like, that's a catch. And then, right. of course, it comes back. I mean, you, there's a million examples like that. But the way the league is run from top to bottom is so inconsistent that it's really maddening, and that's why I go back to college football, because not only are there the teams, and there's the debate, which you can get in the NFL, but then I think the pageantry is so much greater as far as school loyalties and, yeah, even the bands and even the, you know, yeah. the school colors and things like that and the fight songs. There's just an added element there that, as a fan, you can appreciate, which really just isn't there in the NFL. You're absolutely right. I mean, with the catch thing, and, and then, like you said, there's so many different examples the rules, right? Just the on-the-field product. Forget about all the stuff off the field, which we talked about earlier. The on-the-field product is lacking in the NFL. I mean, no one knows what a catch is. You know what I mean? No one knows when a, what a fumble is because no one knows, you know, when a, a, the ball is secure, what is the actual football play, yada, yada, yada. Whereas in college, you know, and we understand, you know, the BCS was a problem. It's all a money grab with college and with the pros, but at least – it feels like the college football, you know, dynamic, they are trying to improve their product, right? Everybody hated the BCS. And then after a while, you know, they had to let the contract run out because, again, it's a money grab. But then they gave us the playoffs. And whether you want eight teams or whatever, the 14 playoffs is significantly better than the BCS. So it just feels like college football at least cares more about their product, cares more about the fan experience than the NFL does. I mean, the NFL, I liken them to like just the biggest pushers, the biggest dope dealers. They, they have their product. They know we like it and they don't care, you know, our, of our complaints. They just give it to us because at least in their eyes, from their perspective, we'll do whatever just to consume their product. No, that's that's a great point because it is the almighty dollar. I mean, these these guys in the NFL are making billions, billions with a B, which is why Goodell is paid so much. And so they know that until people start leaving the product, I mean, think about how the NFL, the audacity, and even now they're finally getting a little pushback where they're like, let's have football on Sunday. Let's have football on Sunday night. Let's do it on Monday night. Hey, let's do it on Thursday, where literally they're all, they were just pushing to get a, a game every day of the week, and then they want to extend the season, and these yeah. guys can barely walk by the end of the year. <laughs> it's everything they can do to just to squeeze money out of fans. It's insane. Once again, I'm joined by my guy, my guy for real, Michael Jenkins. You can catch him on csnmidatlantic.com. 
He's a two-time, well, excuse me, he and I have won two Emmys together the last two years, but he's got way more than that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, but all seriousness, um, want to talk more about college football now specifically. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Chris Sims, like you said, you're a former Longhorn, former Texas quarterback Chris Sims, was in the news saying how he received what he called $100 handshakes when he was at Austin, um, which is kind of crazy because Chris Sims is the son of Phil Sims. So you would think that a $100 handshake really wouldn't mean that much to Chris Sims, but whatever. Um, but I'm not here to talk about Texas and their boosters because every big-time college program pays athletes. And I feel like we all know this, right? If you have any bit of information about college sports, you know that this type of stuff goes on. They pay athletes to come to their school and when they produce at the school. So with that as kind of our reference point, aren't we now at a point where we, we kind of understand like, oh, just pay the kids. You know what I mean? Like we've had this debate, it feels like for, for the last 10 years or so about kids getting paid, but it happens. And now we're at a point where once these kids are out of the school. They'll, they have no shame in telling you that it happens and we all understand it happens. So why aren't we paying athletes again? Well, and and the thing is too, is that, you know, with these major programs and, you know, first of all, part of it is degrees. Like some guys are getting paid more than others, you know, depending on what league you're in and and what, you know, what team you play for. But ultimately these guys are benefiting in some way, shape or form. And I would admit that, you know, a few years ago, I wasn't sure about it as far as, as guys getting paid and, and, you know, whether it should happen. But I've really come around because when you actually look at all well, these guys are getting a free education, it's like, well, yes, they are. But yeah. especially the bigger names, they supersede that money in education, like tenfold. I mean, it, it, it's not even close, especially a guy that's a Heisman Trophy winner or a guy that's a first-team all-conference, you know, player, a, a guy like that. Uh, first team All American, whether it's basketball, football, whatever the sport is, and these guys make money so much more than their education is worth. And most of those guys, man, they're broke anyway. You know, <laughs> they're doing all they can just to survive. And there's a reason why college athletics is, you know, not as big as the NFL, but it makes money hand over fist. It's because of these athletes, specifically in football and basketball. So, and, and, and really, you know, what really is, is insulting to me about it is that the NCAA, like, they'll suspend the guy from having a YouTube channel, but then right. they, they won't look any deeper into someone getting paid or anything like that. It's like, except that, but, hey, this guy, I can't believe he was on Google Plus yesterday. It's so stupid. And you hit the nail on the head. I mean, let's be honest. Getting a degree is important. Getting a, a scholarship is huge. There are a lot of people who go to school for four years, get a degree, and they're swimming in debt. However, we got to be honest, you know what I mean? Like the new world in which we live in, there are people who have several degrees who can't find jobs, or if they do get a job, they don't get a, you know, a well-paying job. So having a degree isn't what it used to be. You know what I mean? So saying that, hey, you're this college athlete who, who brought in X amount of, you know, thousands, maybe even millions of dollars, depending on how great the player was, here's this degree that doesn't mean the same as it may have meant, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But there's all these other roadblocks in its way. I, I, I don't know how they would do it. You know, you got Title IX, you got all these other sports that don't generate revenue. Um, but there, I feel like there has to be a way where the top guns, and we all know who they are, whether it's, 
you know, the best players in college football, the best players in college basketball, we know who they are, that they can get compensated relative to the money that they bring into their university. I think they're, you know, and you could do, the problem is, it is twofold. Number one, it is tricky. It is definitely tricky to implement because then you're, you know, of course, rightfully going to have a Title IX complaint and, and everyone's going to want their piece of the pie. So once you right. open that door and you go through it, everyone's going go to gonna yeah. want a part of it. But I think there is a way to maybe tier it as far as, you know, if you're named to a certain team, if it's an all-conference team, if it's, uh, if it's an all-American team, if you win a certain uh, trophy or an award, you know, if you keep a certain academic standing, then, you know, maybe that helps keep you qualified because you don't want – guys trying for awards but also not able to keep their academic standing. I mean, I think there's a way to do it where it's more – because the last thing we want is some sort of subjective, you know, athletic department just handing out money based on the guys that they like, right? So, But I think there is a way to structure it. The problem with that is it takes time. It takes some effort to do that. And then, of course, it means less money for the universities, and nobody wants to give up more money. Once again, I'm joined by my guy, Michael Jenkins. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Jinx. CSN is one of the funniest and insightful follows that you can have. So make sure you check them out. Jinx, I'm going to get you out of here with this last question. Again, you're a Longhorn, so I know you're super excited about the upcoming season. Tom Herman has everyone excited down in Austin. But, you know, I want to see hear from you. What is a reasonable expectation for your Longhorns this upcoming season? In year one, I I do believe Texas is going to win eight to nine ball games, and I I know for you know it's easy to say well this is a team that's won five games the past couple of seasons how in the world they're going to win eight or nine games but Charlie Strong recruited well there is definitely some talent there secondly this is a team that locked to Kansas last year okay so right. hopefully the, you can chalk that up already as another victory I don't think it's too much of a stretch and you know the one thing about Tom Herman as you've seen I mean the guy was basically an assistant, won a national title with Urban Meyer. He turned around U of H. And, and, this, and the thing about him that people forget is he is a longhorn. You know, this is a guy that was a graduate assistant. And there's a very famous picture when Ricky Williams was in this downtown parade after winning the Heisman Trophy. And Tom Herman is sitting behind Ricky Williams on the float in Austin. And he's basically there to keep people from touching Ricky. I mean, this is a guy who went to Texas as a graduate school student, and so he has, I mean, he is a long one. And I think if you're the head coach of a school that you have allegiance to, that just adds extra incentive. I think as a hell of a football coach, they get eight to nine this season. And then after that, I think they're going to be ready to be a power again. But they're going to have, they'll have a couple setbacks this year, but definitely improve. Once again, this is my guy, Michael Jenkins. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at JinxCSN, one of the best anchors, not just locally, but nationally. My guy for real. Jinx, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of the Quarterly Report. Hey, man, we got to do this again. Hey, man, you're the best. Uh, anytime, man, and uh, hopefully we'll be working together again soon in short order. I really hope so. That's really, really good people right there. Michael Jenkins, man, simply one of the best. But with three quarters down, one left, let's finish up strong with our fourth topic this week. Quarter. I started this show dedicating it to a close friend, uh, really like a brother, Travis Thomas, and his family welcoming in their first child. You know, because life is super precious, obviously. And last week, like right after I published uh, episode 20's podcast, there was news that came out that really had me worrying that we'd be losing a life. Uh, And a huge figure in sports, even though I don't know if we 
properly value this person's worth in the sports world. And of course, I'm talking about the nature boy, Ric Flair. You know, like, again, when I did this show, it was about talking about sports, giving sports opinions that mean something to me. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people were on the major networks and the biggest outlets. They talk about all these other things that really don't move me one way or the other or things that I'm just tired of hearing about. But when, man, when I, I remember getting the text from a friend of mine saying, yo, do you see this? And it was that, you know, Nate was in a coma and his organs had failed. And it was like, oh my God, man, this is awful. I wasn't ready for Nate. I wasn't ready for Ric Flair to leave. You feel me? And I know some of you guys may hear that and like, man, what are you talking about? But you got to understand how big wrestling was to me in my childhood. Like I grew up watching wrestling. That is not me being, that's not me exaggerating. That's not hyperbole. That is the truth. I watched wrestling. Again, I'm from Richmond, Virginia. You know what I mean? Like right, right at the edge of the real South. You know what I mean? Not quite South, but you know, right there. And let me tell you, I'm not talking about falling in love with wrestling when it was The Rock and Stone Cold and DX and NWO. No, 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 no. I was already, I was already in it. I'm talking about, I fell in love with wrestling with, I'm talking about like the Road Warriors, not the Legion of Doom, but the Road Warriors, the Rock and Roll Express, um, Harley Race, Dusty Rhodes, the Horsemen, Ricky Steamboat, you know what I mean? Like Abdullah the Butcher waiting in a in a life-size present and then attacking the guy, attacking Lex Luger or attacking Sting, you know, when they finished wrestling. I'm like, that was that was my era of when I really fell in love with wrestling. And the face of wrestling was Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. And Ric Flair was doing it way before I was even born. And the, the, the style Ric Flair had was the thing that got you, right? I mean, think about some of the bigger sports personalities in recent times, like true sports, the way we consider it. Like Deion Sanders, must be the money. Floyd, May Floyd Money Mayweather, we talked about him earlier. Conor McGregor with the, the tailored suits and the I don't give a you-know-what. Like some of the biggest personalities in sports they got their blueprint from, from the Nature Boy. Think about it. Ric Flair, whether it's sports, think about rappers, right? Musicians. Some of the most, you know, confident, egotistical, you know, faces and people in the entertainment industry. They talk about their tailored suits, their Rolex watches, Gucci shoes, the whole nine. Ric Flair was doing that in the 70s, in the early 80s. It's so hard for me to sit back here in this studio looking at a guy out here hollering my name when last year I spent more money on spilt liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, Son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo! Right, talking about his Rolex watches and <laughs> you know his Lear jets and his stretch limos. It was so funny. Like Ric Flair's whole persona 
has stood the test of time, not just because of how silly it is. Like, how many people have been, like, in wrestling, been, like, the arrogant, you know, money-hungry, you know, womanizing guy? Like, that's a that's a that's an act that's been done so many times. But Ric Flair stands because of just how he carried it and how funny and how absurd some of it was. I don't know about you guys, but I have lost significant number of hours just YouTubing Ric Flair's funniest moments. Like if you do it, like you you just lose time. You lose track of time because you'll laugh so hard at just how ridiculous yet how cool and funny it is. It's amazing the persona that he's kind of wrapped up. And think about this, how big Ric Flair must be. They're planning a 30 for 30 on him. Now, ESPN has kind of blown me because they first talked about this 30 for 30 like two years ago. And now we got to wait till November. And when this news first came out, I was, I was first, I was shocked. I was saddened. But then I was upset at ESPN. I was like, man, if y'all had put this thing out after the Nate goes away, I'm going to be super blown. That, that'd be like the most credit, like the worst. But fortunately, you know, Fortunately, good news is that Ric Flair is seemingly recovering and they've gotten out of like the, the, the worst part, like the worst phase they've passed. So hopefully, you know, Ric Flair pulls through, but my connection, like my, my, my kind of bond or, you know, my, my fanhood with Ric Flair, like I said, I grew up watching wrestling when it was crazy. You know what I mean? I like this kind of, this, Blend, like blended like reality wrestling that we see sometimes now but just like the absurd where you know the undertaker is dead and all this other crazy stuff that they were doing you know i was that's that was the that was the wrestling that i fell in love with and this also is around the time when you know larger than life sports figures were dominating you know you had michael jordan bo jackson wayne gretzky you know what i mean a little bit later on, you had, I mean, Barry Sanders, John Elway, Brett Favre, like all these guys, all these huge sports figures that a lot of people emulated, a lot of people idolized growing up. You know, the, the sports figures that I loved, I told you guys, like, the Knicks are really the, my first love. And all due respect to Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley and John Starks, you on the basketball court, you're not emulating them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe how you foul. That's how you emulate them. But they weren't like flashy players. So, you know, when you're growing up, you want to stand out a little bit. So I didn't, again, I didn't idolize Michael Jordan. So I never stuck my tongue out. But I did the Ric Flair strut. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't do the Heisman pose like Steve McNair did or Charles Woodson. You know what I mean? Or Desmond Howard, for that matter. But I would let out a woo. You know what I'm saying? It was so bad that in middle school, me and my closest friends, we called ourselves the horsemen. <laughs> we would throw up the four. It was crazy. But, like, that's real. That's the type of connection. Like, I saw Ric Flair as the guy. That was my dude. You know what I mean? Hell, I was telling the story a while ago. When I was a kid, I would get my father's robe as if it was Ric Flair's robe and, like, walk out, you know what I'm saying, in the house. It was that bad. Ric Flair was that dude. And think of his impact. Again, all these characters in the sports world now, they all bite a little bit of the whole Nature Boy persona. 
You know what I mean? Hell, you you you'll see like post football game interviews or whatever, right? Where they they're talking to, to the team after the win, and what you hear two claps in the Ric Flair, and everybody goes woo. Like that's the impact this dude has had as a wrestler. You feel me? The Rock is taking over entertainment, but there would be no Rock if it wasn't for Ric Flair. So, you know, staying true to who I am and the show that I want to do and hopefully connecting with y'all. Y'all have some similarities with me as a as a person growing up. You're not going to hear too many Ric Flair tributes on a on a sports podcast. But, man, I had to. And the fact that he's, it looks like he's pulling through, fingers crossed. I think that's super dope, man. Because Ric Flair, it sounds crazy, I know. But he ha- he was a significant chunk of my childhood. You know what I mean? And that means a lot. And we, we, if you're around my age, you're starting to see some of your childhood heroes. I mean, well, they say Father Tom is undefeated. But hopefully, we got the nature boy for a few more years. All right, guys, that's the show. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Also, email us. Email me your suggestions, your thoughts. If you want to hear me talk about a certain sports topic or a certain entertainment issue, let me know. All you got to do is email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. And follow us, subscribe to the show, and rate the show on iTunes. All you got to do is search for quarterly. Again, that's spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. See the icon, click on it, subscribe to the show, and then rate and review. All right, guys, I'm going to be celebrating my daughter's birthday next week, so there will not be a show next week. I'm sorry, but it's the last vacation of the year for me, so we will have quarterly reports starting weekly again, but next week, there will not be a show, but catch up Listen to all 21 episodes. Let me know what you think. And I'll see you in two weeks. Two weeks. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. We'll be coming up on the start of the NFL season. We can talk about the fight. There'll be another huge fight between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. We've got a lot to talk about. So in two weeks, we'll be right back here on the Quarterly Report.